0: visit AscentEquityGroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T EquityGroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: Once you know what to sell, then you know what skills you need to acquire. And if you don't have those skills in order to solve that problem, well, it's very easy. You can go and learn them.
2: Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about We do all this for free. Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practices. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then... You can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go, it's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely winds up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask them about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. I hope you're having a best ever weekend because it is Sunday. We are doing a special segment called Skill Set Sunday, where by the end of our conversation, you will have a specific skill that you will then be able to apply towards your real estate investing ventures. Now, today it is a unique skill in that this is a skill that you can implement prior to starting your real estate ventures to have the capital to actually use to invest. And that's the focus of our conversation, how to generate cash flow to use for your real estate investing and with us today to talk us through that, Sam Evans. how you doing, my friend? Good, thank you. Nice to have you on the show, Sam. And a little bit about Sam, he is a millionaire consultant and creator of training programs for consultants at Evans International. He has created nine millionaires and 136 six-figure consultants from his trainings. He created Snap Inspect, which has an office in New Zealand, North America, with over 2,000 clients in 16 different countries and that is a property inspection application for property management companies. So he does have some experience within the real estate category, and he's based in New York, New York now. You can say hi to him at his website, which is in the show notes page. Before we get into it, Sam, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Sure. I did the normal sort of thing, went to school, went to college, and then got a corporate job, and then realized that I didn't like my corporate job pretty quickly and I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I quit my job and then I moved back home with my parents into their garage and decided I was going to start a business and I didn't know anything and I had no money either really. I had just probably about a thousand dollars or something which was supposed to keep me alive and the first couple of businesses I started were just cool ideas like that's how a lot of people start. They're just like, what's a cool idea? And I started a job board and then an office lunch delivery business, and they both failed. And I spent my first year pretty much just failing. And then that's when it really hit me that all these businesses I'd created, they were just cool ideas, which I'd come up with. I just thought, what's a cool idea? And then I created it and went out there and tried to sell it. And then no one wanted it. And that's when I really realized that no one wanted the things that I was coming up with. And the ideas that were cool in my head weren't exactly things other people would pay money for. And it was like a big wake up call. And so the next time around I decided to go to the market first and ask them. So I went out to the market first and I said, Hey, what are some problems that you guys have? And maybe I can help you solve those. So I went out to the market And I found out that property managers had a massive problem with property inspections. So I decided to start helping them with property inspections. And I came up with Snap Inspect. And for the first time ever, something I created worked. And it was because I got outside of my own head and went to the market. And I created something that people actually needed instead of something which I thought people would want. And that worked. And then that's kind of evolved. Like I grew that business up. I ended up selling my shares in that to my business partner. So I'm out of Snap Inspect now. But then I became a digital marketing consultant, helping businesses get customers online. And then that's evolved until now I help people start consulting businesses. So I help people who have a skill or want to have a skill start their own private consulting business. Mm-hmm. and we have online trainings that help people do that and just recently we acquired consulting.com and so now we've really grown it into a company that has multiple offices and a big team and stuff and it's less about me now and it's more about like a company and so it's gone from being a private consulting business to being kind of like an e-learning platform so like most entrepreneurial stories it started one way ended up somewhere totally different but and that's kind of how it happens, you know.
2: What was the need that Snap Inspect solved the problems based on your original research?
1: Property managers, when I spoke with them, this was back in like 2012 or something. But back then, the way they were doing property inspections is they were going to the property, carrying a clipboard with a printed checklist. It had a pen. They would complete an inspection checklist like that. And then they would have a digital camera with them. They'd take photos And then they'd go back to the office and then when they were there, they would kind of open it up a template on Microsoft Word, manually copy the information over into the template and then upload the photos from the digital camera to the computer, format them, put them in, save it as a PDF, attach that PDF to an email, then send that email to the owner. And the average property manager managed 130 properties and they had to inspect each one twice a year, minimum legal standards. So we're talking about like... 600 of these inspections and each one of them was quite a ordeal of just shuffling things around and it was very inefficient and people hated it it was their number one problem if you spoke with a property manager then i'm sure even if you spoke with a property manager now and you're like what's the number one burden of your day-to-day and your job they would say it's property inspections
2: So you put it in a digital template or format so that they could easily upload the content and then the output would be something they could send out.
1: Yeah, I created an app, like a mobile app. You just take photos, you complete the checklist, and then it creates the PDF and emails it to the owner as you walk out the door.
2: So now we'll transition into what we kicked off the show talking about, and that is how to generate cash flow for investments So that we can invest in real estate. How do we build up our cash flow? And your focus now was helping how to get online customers. Now it is help to start a consulting business. So take it away. How should we structure our conversation so that by the end of this, the best ever listeners will know how to generate cash flow so that they can start investing in real estate if they haven't already?
1: Well, I'm sure generally you have to have cash flow to build up a large stake, like a war chest of cash to invest, unless you're lucky enough to get given some, which I'm sure most people aren't. And that was the big hurdle for me. I was like, well, I've got no money to invest. So there's no point in learning how to invest unless I've got money to invest. But then it's like a chicken and the egg problem. You're like, which one comes first? And that's when it really dawned on me that when you've got no money, cash flow is the most important thing in the world because you you have to keep yourself alive and you have to stay in the game. And most importantly, I found you have to have confidence. If you don't have a certain amount of cash in the bank, you start making lousy decisions and you're desperate and you'll want to jump at a deal which you usually wouldn't jump at if you had enough cash to float you through the year. And Warren Buffett talks about it a lot. He even calls it cash float. And Berkshire Hathaway always has at least $36 in cash Purely because he never wants to worry. Because when you worry, you make poor decisions. And so I realized this. And I was like, okay, so you need cash to really be a a good businessman. But how do we get it? And all the product businesses I looked at, they were capital intensive. Like you had to spend money up front. Like to build a software product, you had to spend money up front. And so when it came to developing Snap Inspect for me, like I had a great idea. The market validated it with me. They said this will work and we'll pay for it, but I didn't have the thing to sell to them. And so I was kind of stuck here. I was like, well, this is a good investment, but I don't have the money to front it. So I was forced to figure out a way to generate the cash to fund the investment and bring it all to life. And that's when I first turned to consulting. And plain and simple, I knew that a lot of businesses and a lot of people out there, they need help with different things. They have problems. And a lot of problems people have aren't just product problems. Like there's not a product to solve everyone's problem. A lot of them are services and advice. And there's a whole market out there for people that just need advice. And that's just talking to someone and they give you money in exchange for it. And you can actually charge quite a lot of money for that. And I realized that the stuff I had in my brain, just from understanding a little bit about marketing and sales and stuff, to me, it was worth nothing because that's just what I knew. And everyone always undervalues what they know. But to other people, I had no idea that that was worth money. And so I started talking to other people and asking them about what their problems were. And then if I could help them, I would say, okay, well, I can help you with that. I've got experience with this thing. I know how to solve this problem. And would you be willing to have an agreement together where I train you on this or consult you on this and you pay me in return? And... I was able to get a few deals like that. None of them were huge. They were like $500, $1,000. And just by selling those things, I was able to get enough money to build Snap Inspect and actually get it off the ground. So it was through selling my advice that I got enough money to front an investment. And I think having a consulting arm really for any business is a great thing to have because if you need cash flow or if you need to get some liquidity at any point in time, you can do that.
2: So, for the best ever listeners in varying backgrounds, because we're all over the United States mostly, 93% of listeners are in the US and then 7% all over the world. Where do we go from here? Where, yes, agree, Sam, makes sense. We should start a consulting arm for our business to help generate cash
1: flow. Now what do we do? Well, if it's something you actually want to do, you have to go to the market. Like, you need to know what you're going to be selling. People feel like they have to go out and just learn a whole bunch of skills and acquire a whole bunch of knowledge. That's the wrong way to go about it. Because if you just go out and you start learning, learning for what? What are you optimizing for? Your mind is an algorithm, and if it doesn't have an output function set for like what it's optimizing for, it's just going to make a mess. And so whenever you're going to learn or whenever you're going to acquire information and knowledge, you need to have a reason why. You need to have some sort of intent. And then once you have the intent, it's very easy to acquire their knowledge. And so where you find that intent is you don't set it because you don't know what you need to know. And the way I make it really simple for people is it's like, imagine that there's a girl called Susie and she's sitting on a park bench and you're sitting on a park bench opposite her. And you've got to guess what Susie wants for lunch. You have no idea what Susie wants for lunch. You could sit there and think about it all day. You could read every book there is. Like you could listen to every podcast. You could read every blog. You could own Google. And you still wouldn't really know what Susie wants for lunch. And this is kind of what entrepreneurship's about. And people kind of messed it up a bit. It's like they try and learn all this stuff and then guess what Susie wants for lunch. But you're never going to know. No amount of information can tell you. The easiest way is just to go over and ask her. And that's what entrepreneurs need to do in any type of entrepreneur. This doesn't matter what niche, what country, what anything. And so very simply, like, you know, Susie's the market. And so you need to go out to your market. And if your market is real estate investors, if your market is property managers, if your market's whatever, you can go and talk to the market and be like, hey, what are the most painful problems that you face on a day-to-day basis as a ex? An ex could be property manager, it could be accountant, could be real estate investor. And you ask them that and then you'll be quite surprised. People love telling you about their problems. People love talking about themselves and they'll tell you. And you don't just listen to the first one because one person can be wrong, one person can be an outlier. You need to listen to enough of them. I'd say a sample size of about 20 or more. And after you've talked to 20 people in one specific niche, you'll start to recognize a pattern. And you'll start to recognize reoccurring themes between these conversations. As I did with property managers, I started to notice that out of 20 property managers I spoke to, probably 18 of them hated property inspections. And I was like, okay, this isn't just one person. This is like a widespread issue here. And you'll be amazed at how easy these things are to find. If you talk to the market and you care for them and you don't have any agenda or any bias in your mind when you go there. A lot of people they already know what they want to sell to the market and so they go there and they're asking questions to Position it just so that they can like sell their thing like you've got to remove all the bias You can't have an agenda. Otherwise, you're going to skew the conversation You literally have to have no bias and you talk to them You find out what they want and then you create the offer That's where you get the information and you create the offer whether it's a product or a service or a consulting business or whatever and That's how you find out what to sell. And once you know what to sell, then you know what skills you need to acquire. And if you don't have those skills in order to solve that problem, well, it's very easy. You can go and learn them. Learning things is very easy. Knowing what things to learn is the hard part. And so that's how we figure out what to learn. We optimize off the market and we go speak to the market, find out what Susie wants for lunch, figure out a solution to give Susie what she wants. And then acquire all the knowledge and information necessary in order to fulfill Susie's want.
2: On the very first step, which is really knowing who you're speaking to, knowing your audience, knowing which niche you're focused on, do you have any suggestions for the best ever listener who hasn't identified who they should be speaking to?
1: Yeah, well, the first thing is, is like, you have to pick a niche. Because it's like the man who chases two rabbits catches none. The guy who tries to chase all of the rabbits, he's like, well, screw chasing one. And it's like, I'm going for everything. I'm going to chase everybody. And he goes chasing everybody and he gets nothing. And then the guy who just chases one rabbit, he always ends up catching it. And so business is very much like this. A lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs, they're too afraid to narrow their reach because of what they might miss out on. But they don't understand without narrowing their niche, they don't get anything. So the key is to pick a niche that is mandatory. And you can always make it wider later, but to begin with, it has to be nice and narrow. And to answer the question, what niche to pick, it honestly doesn't matter. You can't pick the perfect niche. There's no way to do that. This isn't a science that, well, at least a science that exists at this present moment in time. There's no way to study and theorize on what niche to pick. The best thing to do is just to pick one which just use your instinct. I always say, imagine someone has a gun to your head they're going to blow your brains out in 10 seconds what niche you're going to pick and whatever you say that's a good one to start with because we can always change it and like I said your mind is like an algorithm and it optimizes if something doesn't work it's like okay we don't do that again if something does work it's like okay maybe we do more of this and so it doesn't matter what you start with it's just that you need to start And just like I told you my story before about how I started with an online job board, then an office lunch delivery business, then a property inspection app, and now I'm here. I'm probably doing the thing right now, which I should have always been doing, but I was only able to find that by doing the wrong things. So that's the key. It's just to pick anything and then just do it. And then if it's not right, then change it. And if it is right, do more of it. Trying to get it right, you will never have picked anything. Like if I was still trying to pick the perfect niche, I'd still be back at the starting blocks. 5 years ago
2: once you identify what should be created based on what the audience or your your target audience says they have a problem with so you've got the offer and then you've went and learned whatever is necessary assuming they didn't have all that knowledge how do you know how to price or structure the consulting program
1: it's a very good question we'll handle the structure of it first then we'll handle the price So in terms of the structure, I like to use this thing I call minimum viable offer. So I blatantly stole that from the guy who wrote minimum viable products, which is MVP, Eric Rice, the lean startup, that guy. He found in the SaaS world that people were building these big bloated products that had like a thousand features and they were like rocket ships. And people were sick and tired of all of this crap. They just wanted something lean. And just something that was simple and could do the job. And so these new protagonists emerged in the market who were people who focused solely on minimum viable products and made them dead simple. And they were actually able to beat the fancy complex products. And it was a case where simple beats complex. And in the consulting world right now, it's gotten complex. And so it's a ripe time to come in with that same strategy. So I came up with the term minimum viable offer it's the same as minimum viable product except we're selling services instead of products so we look at the customer's problem and we ask the question to ourselves what is the least amount of work I can do to get that person what they want so I'm not trying to show off how smart I am I'm not trying to talk about this new theory that I read in this book I'm not trying to talk about any crap which they don't need I'm just trying to offer the least possible. Because that means it's easier for me to deliver it. It means it's simpler for the client. It's more simple to communicate. And it's a lot easier to do. So you really just have to start with that question. What's the least amount of work possible that I can do to help this customer achieve the result? And again, like everything in life, you're not going to be able to figure this out perfect before you do it. So you kind of come up with a hypothesis. You're like, I believe this is going to work. And then you form your hypothesis. Then you go out to a customer and you sign them up. And you start doing the work with them. And then they either get the result they were after or they don't. And then you go back to your hypothesis and you're like, okay, where could I have improved this? Where did I go wrong? What should I do more of? What should I do less of? Then you form a new hypothesis, you go back to the market, you implement it again. And it's just an iterative process each time coming closer and closer to the perfect offer. So that's how we create the perfect offer it's minimum viable. And we use scientific method of hypothesis, iteration, and feedback to optimize it, to get it to that perfect product market fit, or in our situation, service market fit. So that's how we do that. And then in terms of pricing the offer, what I like to do is price around 10% of value. And what that is, is it's like, I never price on costs. I think cost-based price is a very stupid way to do things. That That came about from the industrial revolution when people were selling steel and oil and things. And, and we're not in the industrial revolution anymore. And so these days it's all about value. And so you really have to determine what is it worth for this person to have their problem fixed. So let's say we're in real estate investing and this guy has a bad deal. It's bleeding him out like two grand a month. If he doesn't fix that, well, it's going to cost him two grand a month for some horizon of months. We could assume maybe six months could cost him twelve thousand dollars. And then if we were to price our offer, if we thought we could save him from that deal, then we could say, okay, well, the value would be $12,000 for him. And so to make it a really like just a blockbuster deal, we want to price on 10% of value. So if he's going to save 12 grand, if we charged him 1,200 for that, then that's a no brainer, right? And that's a way where like you're going to have an awesome offer. We don't want to be too greedy and be like, we'll charge them 10 grand because could absolutely do that. But my view is that you want to blow people away. You want to be like the iPhone. You know, The iPhone is pretty cheap for how much value you get. And when you have an offer like that, it just goes crazy. It's like you don't even need to market. You don't need a webinars. You don't need to do all this crazy copywriting, which all these copywriters do and put highlighter and countdown timers everywhere. It's just a bloody good offer and people talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you price it about 10% of value. And so that's how I recommend everyone prices things.
2: I love that. And just to ask a clarification question on the pricing, do you recommend pricing based off of say monthly retainers off 10% of value or a one-time thing or any combination thereof?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So it totally depends on the nature of the problem. If the problem is kind of a one-off sort of thing, then you'd probably just have a one-off fee. If it's an ongoing thing, which it's like you're going to be working together for a while and personal training is one of them. You just don't get fit and then it's it. People who have tried to do that, they often end up not fit again. And so it totally depends on the nature of the problem. If it's an ongoing thing, then you would have a retainer. If it was a one-off sort of thing, you'd go one-off uh, You'll be able to tell what makes sense when you see the problem.
2: Sam, is there anything else that we haven't discussed as it relates to generating cash flow so that we can then invest in real estate that you wanted to mention?
1: The other one is we've talked about some good theory and everything about how to go out and make money. But the big thing that I see every day with entrepreneurs is that they become great money makers, but not very good money keepers. And, pretty much everyone I've observed, like even my heroes for who I observed five years ago, it's amazing to see that all the money that's gone through their hands, they still don't have any of it. And so I think there's massive amounts of information missing in this industry. And in terms of accounting and finance and being financially responsible, I think everyone's kind of been so pulled on the bias of make money. It's all about making all this money. And, It's great. People have learned how to make a lot of money, but they haven't kept any of it. It's kind of like if we observe history, when pro athletes first started making a lot of money in boxing or in football or basketball or whatever, the first people, the pioneers of that industry, the first people who did it, they lost it all. And only the modern day people can look at their mistakes and learn. And that's why they have financial managers and they're more sensible and everything now. I think it's more than just making the money. I think it's also hanging on to it especially in investing. I understand now that in business, once you've got money, it's more of capital preservation than trying to make more. It's like protecting your downside is more important than trying to make more. And that's the number one thing that becomes an issue once you have some money. And so I think a lot of people need to read some books on accounting and on finance and just on managing money because The biggest thing I've seen so many millionaires do it, they've made millions and they don't have millions anymore. And so that's the only other piece of advice I'd I'd add.
2: I was interviewing a gentleman and his mentors, Ross Perot, and Ross had a famous saying that he'd always mentioned prior to investing in something. And he said, it's more important to be focused on return of capital than return on capital. And that's exactly what you're talking about here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a concept which you don't learn to appreciate until you have some capital. (laughs) Because most people are swinging for the fences all the time because they're like, what does it matter if I lose a grand? But once you've got a pile, it's more about protecting that pile than trying to add to it.
2: Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company?
1: My website, the new one, which is live right now, but it's just one page. There'll be a full blog there and everything in the next few days, but it's consulting.com.
2: And what will they find when they go there? On that one pager, what will they
1: find? Consulting.com, they will find just a basic video about what we do. We provide training programs helping people become consultants. The reason why I'm saying it now is because in like two three days' time, there's going to be a proper website there which has a lot more information because we only just acquired that domain name.
2: Well, congratulations on the new acquisition, and thank you for being on the show. You walked us through... Six steps to start a consulting program so that we can go invest in real estate if we haven't already. Step one is pick your niche. As you said, if you chase two rabbits, then you get no rabbit. So find your rabbit and go chase it. Two is know your audience. Three is know what you should be selling to your audience. So talk to them. Do 20-plus interviews. Four is create the offer based on what they want. And then five is know how to structure it with your minimum viable offer approach. You test and optimize that. And then six is getting the pricing right. And you recommend pricing it around 10% of value. So thanks so much for being on the show, Sam. I love your quote also. You had a couple money quotes in my opinion. One is don't undervalue what you know. Most people do and also learning things is easy knowing what to learn is the hard part ain't that the truth thanks for being on the show my friend hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon thanks you too do you want to learn more about the real estate buying and selling process learn to earn passive income with the cash flow guys as tyler chef and his team discuss their secrets to creating cash flow check out the cash flow guys podcast at cashflowguys.com that's c a s h F-L-O-W-G-U-Y-S dot com.